This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 139, Western State Colorado University's Mountain Sports Program, with Dave Weens. Before we dive into the main show, I wanted to send a reminder out there to all college students who are interested in having a really cool point on their resumes. We're offering a mini internship to help promote the Adventure Sports Podcast on college campuses as Adventure Sports Podcast Ambassadors. We'll make it worth your time. You'll get great experience to put on the resume, and it'll be a ton of fun, too. If Please go to AdventureSportsPodcast.com and contact us there by pressing the contact button. Cool. Now enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. Today I have David Weens with us, and Dave is the founder and director of advancement for Western State Colorado University's Mountain Sports Program. He has been an adventurer for a long time and knows an awful lot about adventuring, especially mountain biking, skiing, trail running, and things like that. And Dave wants to share with us today what this program has to offer for adventure sports enthusiasts, especially students that may be interested in going to Western State Colorado University. So Dave, welcome to the program. Thank you, Curtis, and thanks for having me. Oh, you bet. So Dave, tell us your story. How did you get involved in adventure sports, and what brought you to Gunnison, Colorado, where you run this program? (laughs) Boy, it was a long time ago, but I just have to, I guess growing up in, in Colorado, I grew up in the Denver metro area, and, and my parents were both from the farm, so they didn't exactly come from a, an outdoor adventure background, but they took us skiing, and, and um, I had a bicycle, and, and I guess just being around, uh, probably skiing to start with, uh, and, you know, they took us on a raft trip when I was six, and we ran the Yampa River up in northwest Colorado, and that was probably part of it too, but around the age of 14, I became... Uh, very interested in in river sports and skiing, and really just got derailed from just about everything else <laughs> in my life, and was uh, one of those kids that became obsessed with with whitewater and uh, and skiing. And when it came time to uh, to pick a place to go to college, uh, I looked to the west, up into the mountains above Denver, and uh, and I found Western State College at the time in Gunnison, and uh, enrolled there. And uh, I guess. The, the rest is history, if you will, in that I, you know, I skied and, and paddled a kayak. And at that time, the mountain bike was brand new. This is the early 80s. And uh, I, I knew that mountain bikes existed, but it's a hard to imagine this. But there was a time when they were a rare commodity. The, the cheapest mountain bike you could find was a specialized stump jumper, and it was well over $500, something, an amount of money that I certainly didn't have. And so for me, for a long time, the mountain bike was an elusive, what I called the elusive toy. Uh, the one toy that I, I couldn't quite afford yet. I had my boat. I had some skis. And uh, at some point, uh, I, I did get a, a mountain bike and, and started to do that and, and uh, started racing up here in Gunnison. Uh, the sport of mountain biking really started in, in California and Colorado. And I happened to be living in, in one of the places that is considered, uh, I guess, one of the birthplaces of mountain bike. That would be Crested Butte. 
and there was a, a good crew of guys racing bikes here, and I just jumped in with them uh, and started to, to race and had a, a certain amount of success with it and uh, was able to, to enjoy a career uh, in professional mountain bike racing, and that was while I was still going to school at Western. Uh, graduated from Western the same year I signed my first pro contract and uh, am still involved in the bicycle industry and uh, have, have been able to see the, the world uh, you know, behind the, the handlebars. But it all really started with, with skiing and kayaking and the mountains and the outdoors and adventure and just a, a desire that, that hasn't waned in me at all to, to get out and, and experience the, the great natural areas that uh, especially the state of Colorado have. Uh, I've traveled around a good bit. I've, I've done you know, some, some fun adventures in some different places. And I always uh, just, you know, I, I just can't wait to get back to Colorado. Yeah, Colorado is a very special place, no doubt about that. What about Gunnison? I don't know how many of our listeners know Gunnison in any level of detail. Describe Gunnison for us, its setting, and what's around there. Uh, I've lived in Gunnison for a long time, uh, a few decades, and I, I can't imagine personally living anywhere else. What, what I love about Gunnison, and you know, this won't resonate with, with many people or everybody, but uh, I call it splendid isolation. We're an isolated community. We're small. Uh, we're off the beaten path. We don't have a, a major highway running through here. Um, I just love the feel of it. It's a regular town. I love resort towns. I love Crested Butte and Aspen and Steamboat and places like that, but Gunnison's not a resort town. Gunnison's a, a ranching community. It's a, a regular town with a lot of uh, just regular folks. There's not the in-your-face scenery in Gunnison uh, like there would be in a place like Telluride. Uh, the beauty around here is very subtle, and it's not always apparent in the middle of the day. Sometimes as the light gets gets lower late in the day, that's when uh, the beauty of Gunnison really comes out. It's high desert, but we're surrounded by public lands. I, I can go you know, on my bicycle five minutes in any direction and be on BLM public lands, and eventually the BLM gives way to the Forest Service, and we've got amazing trails. And then if I happen to hop in my car... It's a very short drive in any direction, and you know I'm in some fantastic alpine terrain. So I like the proximity of Gunnison to the Front Range. We're relatively close to the Front Range, but we don't see as many of the Front Range people um, on the weekends as you would, say, along the I-70 corridor. We're starting to see more uh, of the discerning Front Rangers, though, heading down this way to, to ski at Crested Butte Mountain Resort, ride their bikes uh, at Hartman Rocks here in Gunnison. Um, check out the Black Canyon of the Gunnison as as I seventy gets busier. I think people are starting to to you know broaden their vision a little bit about some of the opportunities that are that are accessible to them in the state. So I think a lot of people dismiss Gunnison initially as being too far away, say from you know the Denver metro area. But when you get down and you look at it, it's you know I can get to my mom's house in Denver in you know, about three hours and twenty minutes. Uh, so we're we're relatively accessible, yet we're not overcrowded. You know, Gunnison, I have to throw in there, like you mentioned, it's it's not far from the Black Canyon, so it's it's not far from the reservoirs that are at the top end of the canyon. You also have Monarch Ski Area that's not too far to the east, um, and the Wimmenooch Wilderness Area is uh, kind of to the southwest of you there. Lake City is, is a bit of a drive, but a beautiful area. I think Gunnison, you know, nestled there between Lake City and Crested Butte and all these other really neat mountain locations. It's kind of a neat central location to access all that stuff. Curtis, you're absolutely correct. And what I've realized now uh, as I get older is I may not even get to explore all the places that I want to explore that are close to Gunnison. My wife Susan and I, we were married in Lake City. It's uh, the, the, the San Juans. We're at the, 
the, the northern edge of the San Juans. If we go south, we're in the San Juan Mountains, like you say, the Lagarita Wilderness, the Big Blue Wilderness. Um, Uray is not that far away. Uh, the West Elk Mountain Range is a very, you know, seldom visited, very cool. It's, it's the, it's one of the San Juan super volcanoes. That's the geo, the geology of, of that mountain range. And you, you don't see hardly anybody in there. And that's directly to our Northwest. Uh, the Elk Mountains up around Crested Butte, the Fossil Ridge area, the Monarch Pass area, including the Monarch Ski area and the Crest Trail. Uh, we're just surrounded by all kinds of opportunities. The Blue Mesa Reservoir, as you mentioned. So I've, lived here so long and it just it still you know baffles me that there's a ton of places that i haven't explored well i think that makes that kind of a hot location especially for students who would like to live in an area where they can really plug into wilderness and nature and all the adventure sports associated with that and so western state colorado university is right there and let's see you said it was 2012 when you started the program for the uh, the mountain sports program for Western State, and what led you to do that? Well, we have a, a, an alumni who um, generously gives um, to our program, and initially he was giving to the mountain bike team. We had separate club teams. We had a mountain bike club. We had a ski club, an alpine, a uh, Nordic ski club, an alpine ski club, a free ride ski club, all these different clubs. And uh, this, this alum was interested to see if we could um, just, you know, make our mountain bike team a little more competitive. So they, um, the folks at Western contacted me and just asked me to look into the, the landscape of collegiate mountain bike racing and to see how we could uh, improve our position in, in, in that sport. And when I got in there and I looked around, I said, well, one of our challenges, if we were to bring in you know, really top level mountain bikers here is that we have tough winters. And a lot of times, uh, you know, if you, if you're a bike racer and you're really good, you might want to ride your bike year round. Uh, so I said, you know, I hate to bring athletes in that, that aren't going to thrive in Gunnison during our winters because we get a lot of, we get a lot of snow. But what does make sense to me is bringing in mountain bikers who want to race their bikes in the fall and then are happy, like I do, putting the bike away in the wintertime and you get your skis or your snowboards out. So I just suggested the idea of instead of you know really putting a big effort behind trying to make our mountain bike team um, a lot bigger, let's create an, an addition to our mountain bike team. Let's call it the Mountain Sports Program, and let's expand it to to not only include mountain biking, but also let's bring our skiing programs in, and let's look at trail running and, and snowboarding, and let's just put it all under uh, uh, the name of mountain sports so that there's that feel of family and it doesn't have all these distinct different clubs that don't really have a connection. Whereas once we put that under mountain sports, we connected all those sports so that athletes typically don't refer to themselves as a mountain biker or a skier or a snowboarder. They're mountain sports athletes. We see a big crossover where our trail runners or our mountain bikers are also our Nordic skiers. We've got downhill mountain bikers who are free ride big mountain skiers. Uh, we've got mountain bikers and trail runners who are snowboarders. So we're starting to see, you know, these, these athletes with, um, you know, multiple talents or interests coming to Western, um, first and foremost to study for their academic pursuits, but they're also able to compete in, uh, in the sports of their choice. But not just experienced athletes, mountain sports, it's important that people understand that what we expect out of our athletes isn't excellence, but it is effort. So you don't have to be good at something. In fact, you could come here and have never raced a mountain bike before, and you could become part of our program. And I guarantee you, after four years at Western on our, our teams, whether it's you know skiing or snowboarding, trail running or mountain biking, 
you're going to be good at it. But on the same hand, uh, we have some, some very experienced athletes. Francesca Paviard Kane, uh, she's one of the top five free skiers in the world. She's on the Freeride World Tour. She came up through the program at Western. And, um, and Max Dershey, he's another example uh, of one of our skiers who's on the, the, the Freeride World Tour. So we really try to cover the full spectrum of abilities, but we don't want to be solely an elite program. And uh, there's, there's plenty of with high school mountain biking out there, for example. There's a lot of, of interest now in, in these sports, and, and not every high school student has been able to, to pursue the sports to the level that, that maybe some others have. And I was a good example of that coming out of high school. I loved to ski, but I wasn't really uh, you know, a great skier. And when I came to Western and I, I went out for the ski team back in 1982, um, you know, that, that program really brought my skills along. And uh, it's the same thing with mountain sports. That sounds really neat. I want to come back to the program a little bit later in the in our discussion here, but I'd like to dive into some of your personal experiences with adventure sports and how they've impacted your life. Um, first question, why would you encourage people to do adventure sports? Oh, I, I would encourage people to to do the adventure sports just because I feel like it adds so much, uh, it's added so much to my life. And it really, when I think back on all the different adventures that I've had and, and how much I enjoyed the, the actual adventures themselves, a large part of the satisfaction for me has always been in the preparation and the planning for those adventures. And in a lot of situations, that means, you know, working at the sport that, that you have uh, a passion for. And if it's, if it's a mountain bike race, for example, or a big kayaking trip, or you want to, you know, ski some of the 14ers or something like that, whatever your sort of your ultimate goals are with adventure, you don't just gravitate right to that. Um, it's more the journey than the destination. And you need to, you need to train on your bike and you need to, to, to paddle lots of rivers and hone your skills. So, the the adventure sports offer so many opportunities, and they just give your your whole existence, I think, uh, another level of meaning uh, to complement your family, your career, um, you know, the other elements of your life. It just gives you this whole other uh, sort of an outlet and a, and a source of motivation, which I think is really important. And, and more and more, at least uh, with adults, I think we're busier and busier with work. And we need to really make sure that we're, we're careful to, to carve out time for ourselves and the pursuits that we like to do. And I know after I go out uh, for a bike ride or if, it, if I had a good ski or a good paddle or something, I just feel better about everything else in my life, including my work, and I'm more productive. And, uh, you know, we're, we're <laughs> sometimes we're not unlike, uh, unlike dogs that need to get out and run. And some of us really like to run uh, in the great outdoors as opposed to going to a gym or something like that. We need to be out in the, the natural landscapes and, and doing some, some activities that really require a lot of focus. Uh, a physical element is, is certainly part of it, and um, you know, there's a lot of meaning in that. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Well said. Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Winter is in full swing, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and split boarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands, including Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, 
Rocky Mountain Underground, Rosignol, Solomon Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with the proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment, including the latest skis, boots, split boards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check bentgate.com for their full product selection as well as updates on all of their events. Tell us specifically a story about an experience that got you hooked on mountain biking. Well, <laughs> the the uh, the original hook, the one that just pops into my mind immediately, didn't take place in an, in a wild exotic place, but it took place, uh, believe it or not, in the Denver metro area back in this must have been nineteen eighty eighty one somewhere in there. We had built up these sort of mountain bikes at a, 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 a sporting goods store I worked at in Denver. And they were, they were horrible bikes. They were basically beach cruisers with side pole brakes, but they looked like mountain bikes and we could afford them. And we'd ordered them into the shop, me and this buddy of mine, and we, we got them set up and we took them to the Cherry Creek State Park Nature Trails, which is right where the Cherry Creek, uh, proper comes into the reservoir. There's a, a wooded area there and there are these dead flat trails in there. They're, they're nature trails. There were no mountain bikes at that time. I'm sure bikes are not allowed on those trails anymore. But at that time, um, there was no, you know, they didn't, nobody was riding bikes on trails. But I just remember my friend and I going in there on our bikes and riding these trails and coming out and both of our eyes were just huge. We'd had so much fun. And it was, uh, you know, that connection that, that only a bicycle gives you to the trail and the turns and the, and the swoops and the feeling of, of the terrain rolling under you and the trees whizzing by, um, you know, I'll just never forget that. And, you know, that really started, um, the mountain biking and, and, you know, certainly there's, there's other stories that then built off of that exploring Waterton Canyon. Uh, a lot of these are Denver based stories because at that time I was, I was still living in Denver, but, um, Waterton Canyon, I think it's six miles of, of road next to the Platte river. And then that's where the Colorado trail starts. Well, back then in the early eighties, that was a trail and I didn't know where it went. There were no maps. I had no idea that it went to the Platte River and it just went into these, this dark forest as far as I was concerned. And I remember my mom lived near there and I would, I would pedal my mountain bike out there and I'd, I'd start into that, that trail and I'd get so far and I'd finally, you know, be feeling like, man, I'm just, I'm so out there. And I'd turn around and I'd come back out and each time I'd venture in a little further. And one day all of a sudden I popped out on, on the, you know, the Deckers Road, um, back at the South Platte again. And, um, it was, uh, you're like, Oh, I guess, I guess this trail does go someplace, but that was sort of the, the sense of adventure and awe that, uh, you know, was so prevalent in, in my early mountain biking that I loved the exploration. And when I first came to Gunnison and rode my mountain bike, 
uh, here it was it was all exploration. There wasn't a guidebook. You couldn't, you know, Hartman Rocks barely existed as far as the trails. I would just get the old seven and a half minute topo maps out, and I would just, you know, plan out a ride, and then I would head out either either to the northeast or the southeast or the northeast or the northwest, and and I would just ride and explore and and see where these different roads and trails went, and and uh, it was, you know, it was it was incredible. I still love to do that. I just I know where more of them go now. <laughs> That's a lot of fun, you know. And equipment has advanced amazingly, obviously, since the '80s. Um, in the last 30 years, the sport has become so technical and specialized for various types of mountain biking, and it makes a huge difference. But nothing changes that sense of adventure. That let's go out and explore and see what happens. You know, if you're if you're on some clunky bike you put together yourself, or if you're on the latest and greatest carbon fiber rocket bike these days um you can still get out there and have an amazing experience yeah no, no absolutely and I've, I've said this ever since i first started to to ride a lot was that and i would come across around here it's interesting you don't when i'm exploring around gunnison then especially but even now i can ride and not not see another mountain biker up in crested butte you see a few more I a lot around Denver on, you know, Mount Falcon and Waterton Canyon and trails like that. And I always said my favorite mountain biker is the, the guy or girl who I come across who only has really two things. They have a bike and they have a helmet. And you can just tell it's, it's new to them. They're wearing gym shorts and a T-shirt and sneakers. And um, they're just out. It's, it's all new to them. They've got a huge smile on their face. And, and you're right. You don't need to have the latest and the greatest equipment to go out and have a great time. You need a bicycle. Um, that works and a helmet is is you know required equipment i'd bring some gloves too and um you know go out and and, and have an adventure so it is still very accessible the, the the equipment can be a little daunting and and um you know there's a bike for every different kind of riding you can imagine but just a good old hardtail or a, a you know a full suspension trail bike um it just it opens up a huge world uh to, to exploration and, and the fitness and the you know the mental component that I that I talked about earlier, it's all it's all right there. It's just a matter of of um, I guess you know taking that initial dive to to give it a try, but it doesn't take a lot to jump into the sport. It is a fairly accessible sport, and that's pretty cool. And you continued on to become a pro mountain biking racer. Give us a, a synopsis of that. Well, from a from a young age, I've always loved uh, to compete. And uh, I tried my hand at alpine ski racing as an 18-year-old uh, and, and uh, spent a winter doing that. And, and it was a great education. Uh, what I learned was I wasn't a very good ski racer. Uh, became a better skier because of it. But I, I, I learned that I enjoyed competing. Uh, and when I started to ride mountain bikes a lot and I, I got to Gunnison and, and some of my buddies that were into the sport before I was, they were all going to races. And I decided that, that I would go to a race. But I hadn't done any any endurance racing uh so that was new to me and and i remember loading up in a van with a bunch of guys and we went over to to west cliff colorado um it was where i did some of my first mountain bike racing in colorado and and uh, it was a blast i had a great time doing it i really loved it so from then on it really just i was racing and i became um very immersed in the sport and the the like i the, the sport existed in California and Colorado at that time. The biggest races were happening right here. So if I went to a, a bike race in Colorado, chances are Ned Overend, John Tomac, uh, Mike Closer, those guys were racing, and they were the best guys in the sport. So I was able to measure myself against the best in the sport right away. 
you know, that's a, an opportunity that I was very lucky to have that doesn't, you know, the kids today don't have that. Um, it's a, it's a much bigger sport now, very well defined, a lot of depth in the sport, but it was so new then there were very few people doing it. And, and the ones that were doing it happened to, to live in, in communities like Gunnison. So, uh, I just started to race and had a certain amount of success. And at that time, the industry was supporting, you know, teams through sponsorship and I was able to get on, uh, the Diamondback racing team through a local shop and eventually got into their factory team. And um, just was able to to really carve out a, a, a fantastic career in, in mountain bike racing. I met my wife Susan on the Diamondback team. The mountain bike racing has been has been very good to me, and and everything that I have in my life, I could I could really trace it back to to mountain bike racing, uh, one way or the other. And I still love to race. You know, I, I jump into the Leadville Race Series races and. And, uh, you know, there's just something about it that I can't quite get out of my blood, but it's, it's that competition thing. And I also, at the age of, you know, 42, I started playing hockey and, and I still play hockey. You know, I had a game last night and, you know, I'm a terrible hockey player, but I love to compete. Uh, and, and, uh, so that, that, that part of it has been, has been really fun. Isn't it neat? I just have to highlight this, how you found something that you really, really enjoyed. And as you did it, um, it grew into a bigger and bigger part of your life. And like you just said, your life has really been shaped by doing what you love. And there aren't many people that can claim that. That's amazing. Yeah. And I, and I know it, that I'm very fortunate and I don't take it uh, for granted ever that I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of, of luck surrounding that. But um, at the same time, I guess that shows that, that for all of us, you know, we need to you know, seize those opportunities when we think we get them, and uh, you never know what's going to happen, and and nothing ventured, nothing gained. Yeah, give it a go. You never know, right? Right. So, what about tips or tricks? Oh, specifically for for anything, I think that there just is no substitute for time, uh, mileage, as I've as I've said, on your skis, your bicycle, whatever, uh, whatever sport uh you know and that, that extends to to everything that we do and and uh as much as we would love to just be really good at something right off the couch and some of some of us are better than others uh it takes a certain amount of time to get to the point where where you you can excel at something and and you know something like mountain bike mountain biking i think is is a great skill to have if if you desire uh, that sort of an activity to become a good mountain biker it isn't that hard but you do have to put some time in and it is a fitness based sport you do need to ride consistently you can't just take your mountain bike off the shelf uh, once a month and go out for a ride and, and feel good it's a it's fitness based but if you live in a place like denver even downtown denver where you have access to bike paths and, and, and some other trail opportunities or even spin classes or, or indoor trainers where you can work on your fitness and on the weekends maybe it's when you go mountain biking there's so much freedom in this sport, and you know, once you're a, a proficient mountain biker or skier or you know paddler, climber, whatever it happens to be, that's a that's a pretty neat thing to be able to to go out and, and do that adventure. But you have to acquire that skill set, and there is no substitute. You, you can't you can't you can't shortcut your way to skills. You have to work this on, on acquiring the skills, and the only way to do that is to do those sports. And I think some people are afraid to do something that they would really like to do because they don't want to look um, you know, foolish or like they don't know how to do something. But I say, you know, man, you, you can't think about that. You've got to dive in and just do it. And yeah, you're not going to be very good in the beginning, but you don't care. 
and you don't care what people think. You just want to get out there and, and get your, your skill set and your foundation set so that eventually you're good. And I remember jumping into things and saying, hey, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good at this now, but you know, give me a few months or a few years and I'm going to be good at this. And uh, with hockey, that hasn't worked out. I'm still terrible. But with <laughs> some other sports, um, you, you do. You get, you get that feel finally because when you first get on a mountain bike, if you don't come from riding bikes, it doesn't feel right. The, the brakes feel weird, the shifting, everything about it. You have to do it over and over. There is no substitute for the repetition uh, of riding and there's two different components of that there's skills and fitness and you know both of those are important to a lot of sports and that includes you know downhill skiing if you just downhill ski once a month or so your skills aren't going to be as crisp as they could be and your legs aren't going to be as strong as they could be so if you choose a sport and you really want to get into it you've got to be consistent with it and that's where I really always come back to the, the bicycle because it's the most accessible sport. We have to drive up to ski areas. Um, you know, cross-country skiing in the resort communities is pretty accessible to folks. But um, to others, if it, if it requires an approach and it, and it takes too big a chunk of time, it's, it's, harder to, it's harder for us to do it in our busy lives. And, and, you know, mountain biking, depending on where you live, you might have great mountain biking trails right out your back door. If you live anywhere along the front range um, on the west side of town, of Denver or Boulder or Fort Collins or Colorado Springs, you've got the mountains right there and you've got trail systems up and down the front range that are very accessible to you. Uh, and you can get out after work, before work, uh, on weekends. It's very easy to do. Whereas, you know, to go up into the high country and, and go skiing, you're not going to do that after work or before work. So the bike is really what I consider to be the low hanging fruit of, of adventure, something that, that all of us can get out and do all the time. And, uh, you know, give us the fitness, get us outdoors, clear our minds a little bit. And then uh, if you're able to do some mountain biking, you're working on your skills to where all of a sudden that section of trail becomes a little bit easier. That downhill, you, you, you find a line through it. You're, you work on your vision to where, oh, now I'm starting to see how this all goes together. So that mileage, that time, those repetitions, you know, I can't stress how important those are and you can't buy those. Um, as much as we'd like to, the only way you get those is by being determined and putting in that consistent time. And that can be the hard part and the barrier of entry for a lot of people. But then other people, you know, they're the kind of people that, Hey, they just dive into something. And, and regardless of what it is, and there's a great mountain biker out in California named Jackie Phelan. And she, at a you know relatively older age said, you know what, I'm going to learn to play the banjo. And she was terrible, but she just stuck with it and put in a little bit of time every day. And now she's amazing at it. I know the banjo isn't exactly mountain biking or, or rock climbing or anything else, but that's the idea is that if you put in that consistent time and you work hard and you don't get discouraged, eventually you're going to become you know, much better and proficient at something that's going to be very valuable to you uh, in your life. I have to share an event in our family just because it's related to what you're talking about. I started teaching my children how to ski about 10 years ago. And, you know, I started one when he was three and, you know, started some of the others when they were five or six. But long story short, this uh, weekend before last was the first time that all four of my kids went down a double black together with me. And I realized I'd been working for 10 years to make that happen. <laughs> and I said, I have arrived. After 10 years, my kids are all skiing the, the double blacks. And we've just been having a ton of fun. But here's the thing. Skiing is not as accessible as biking like you're talking about. It took 10 years. Of course, they had to grow into their, you know, their teenage 
bodies before they really had the the strength to to dive off of some of this crazy terrain. But we kept at it. It took a long time. They're there, and it's really exciting. But with biking, you can do 15 minutes at a time if you need to. You don't have to block out a day, you know, and schedule a weekend and and all that stuff like you're talking about. I mean, if you can do 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there, an hour here, an hour there, but do it consistently, you can advance very quickly in the sport. Absolutely. It's it's those those small hits day after day. That's when you become familiar with with, you know, whatever that sport is that you're pursuing and, and the things that, that tend to, to mystify people on the bicycle, the shifting, the brakes. Uh, even if you lived, say, in downtown Denver and you just jumped on the Platte River Trail, the Cherry Creek Trail, um, you know, five times a week for a quick little spin around, you're going to have to break, you're going to have to shift. All of a sudden, those things become second nature to you. And that's when you really know you've, you've acquired a skill set is where you don't have to think about it anymore. It just becomes, you know, natural and instinctive. And you only get that through that repetition. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you know what? You need to get your skills up. The next question is about that epic fail when things didn't go as planned. But when you get that repetition and experience in, then hopefully it minimizes the epic stories. But I'm sure you have one for us. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And the, you know, when I just think of epic fail, I think of a a couple things. And and the first one I think of is, is, you know, less, I guess, about the skills element and more about the fitness element. And, that after the the 1991 mountain biking season, I'd had you know you know really you know, great success at the at the international level. Granted, you know the international field wasn't you know terribly robust at that time, and I trained hard during the winter. And, and going into the first World Cup race of 1992 over in Belgium, I was just sure I was you know I had arrived. I you know I I was you know one of the guys. This was this was easy for me. I'd still been working hard, but I got in this race and I started with the front, the leaders, and, and you know, I'd been called up to the front row because I was one of the top guys from the season before, and I just didn't have it that day, and I just slowly went backwards through this field, and I went back and back and back and back, and I went so far back that by the time I crossed the finish line, the, the, the podium presentation was finished, everybody was gone, there were people taking down the, the structure um, you know, I think I'm, if I wasn't dead last, I was really close. And, you know, that was important to me to still finish, though, and to, to remember that, that racing experience right alongside with other successful days that I'd had out there, because I think they all need to go together. And, uh, you know, it was a good experience for me to have, as painful as it was at the time. Uh, it reminded me that, that you're only as good as your last whatever it happens to be, and that you can never really relax and, and sit back on your laurels. Um, then the other epic fail is one that, um, that my kids love to remind me about that it happened in a time before YouTube and those things, but it's found its way there is just this, this part of the Vale world championships course called Bailey's bailout named after a fellow named John Bailey. And, um, my wife, Susan wrote it. It was a, a nasty section steep drop and, uh, on her way to a silver medal in the world championships. And I think on the first lap, I had just in my mindset, I have to ride this thing. I, there's, there's, I just have to do it. I turned my brain off as far as thinking about it. And I went, I went off this thing in a long line of guys and Dusty and, and just went over the bars and basically did, you know, three quarters of a flip off of a cliff on a bicycle, um, into a rock field. And my bike went flipping out into the crowd. And, you know, someone, I get up and someone in the crowd hands me my bike again and I, I go pedaling <laughs> off. But, um, it was, uh, it was certainly, uh, a big crash that that wasn't uh, you know 
a good showcase of, of uh, any sort of a skill set. But, uh, <laughs> you know, those, those are, those are a couple, and there's been plenty more. And I think that what's important to me, I think, is, is always taking the success and the failure together and not denying failure, trying to learn from it. And of course, we're, we're certainly not looking for failure. We always try to avoid it. We don't want to make mistakes. We don't want to, we want to have, we, everything needs to be positive and, and we work hard to make it that way. But it doesn't always work, and when things do go awry, it's always good, I think, to uh, to try to learn from it and, and remember it, and uh, you know, have a little laugh at, at at it if you can. <laughs> you know, that's that's so applicable to real life. You know, outside of adventure sports, life's never perfect. You know, there are lots of ups and downs and challenges along the way, and if we can learn from them and not take them too seriously, then man, we can gain a lot from the failures. So absolutely. That's cool. And the funny part is, you know, you told us, well, you know, I started racing, I had some success, you know, I had some, some wins and this and that and the other, and we're all going, well, good for you. But then you say, I go three quarters flip over the handlebars into a rock field and I start chuckling because that's the good story. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I hate to say it, but sometimes it's when things don't go right that in a way we build the biggest memories and, and learn the most about ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Man. Well, it's amazing that your bike held together. Yeah, well, I think it landed on a bunch of people, so it had a soft landing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that the chain ring didn't go into anybody's head. Oh, no. Yeah, that's good. The 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to bulky and fragile gas-burning camp stoves. The 180 Flame utilizes fewer parts with minimal weight and maximized reliability. The locking tab and slot design means there are no hinges, welds, or rivets to fail you in the field. Cook your food and boil water quickly using only small amounts of natural fuels including twigs, grass, pine cones, and leaves. Weighing just 6.4 ounces, the 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to a backpacking stove. You can find your new flame at 180tac.com or a retailer near you. 180 Flame. Think big, pack small. Phoenix Multisport is a sober, active community that supports individuals who are healing from substance use disorder by providing free programs to help them maintain their sobriety. A few of these programs include CrossFit, yoga, boxing, cycling, and rock climbing and are offered to anyone who is 48 hours clean and sober. Phoenix Multisport provides programs in Colorado, Orange County, California, and Boston, Massachusetts. For more information on this nonprofit, go to www.phoenixmultisport.org. Together, we can help individuals rise from the ashes of their addiction and heal families. Hey, let's steer back to Western State Colorado Mountain Sports Program. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. I know that you are working with students there to help advance them in their sports. How does that program work? Is it for credit? Is it on the side? I mean, how is Western State associated with it? Give us the, the details. Well, it's uh, it's technically uh, a, a club sport. It's in the club sports. So we've got a club sport hockey team, lacrosse, 
Uh, there, you know, lots of club sports. So it's, it's not, uh, what, what are, what's considered NCAA sanctioned sports. It's not in the athletic department. But what we created with mountain sports is almost that alternative mountain sports athletic department. And it's mountain biking, it's skiing, it's snowboarding, and it's trail running, and it's, it's competition. It's, if you just want to go out and, and enjoy those sports, um, recreationally or just for fun, we have another program at Western called Wilderness Pursuits. And in Wilderness Pursuits, they've got a ton of gear and a ton of expertise and then a whole schedule of trips where you can go on trips and mountain bike and ice climb and backcountry ski and rafting and paddling and, and all kinds of things, um, both learning how to do it, uh, becoming better at it, or if you're really good at it, you can, you know, some of the trips are, are very high level and, you know, they're climbing and skiing peaks and things like that. Uh, what differentiates the mountain sports program is that it is competitive. These are competition teams. We're pinning numbers on. We're racing. Uh, in the case of freeride big mountain skiing, it's a judged competition. Freestyle skiing and snowboarding is the same. Uh, so it's competition and, and nothing more. So that's, that's part of it. If you, if you don't really like to compete, then mountain sports, as far as at least participating in, in the sports part of it, may not be for you. But what we found is that, uh, you know, there's a lot of student athletes out there that, that, that like to race their mountain bikes or want to learn to race their mountain bikes. And, and, you know, that's an important part of the two people say, Hey, can, you know, can I make the team? Do you guys do cuts? We don't. These are dues based programs. Um, because the travel and the, and the, and the entry fees and everything about these competitions is, is, uh, it's expensive. These sports are expensive, but when you pay your dues, uh, Western covers a lot of, of the expenses. We'll cover your travel. We'll cover your lodging. So if you were to go out and to try to pursue these sports on your own, you'd end up paying hundreds or even thousands of dollars more, uh, than you would, uh, as part of the mountain sports program. So even though um, they are dues-based, it's uh, a very good value. And you don't have to be uh, a, a, an excellent mountain biker or skier. In fact, we get students every year, hey, you know what, I, I, I'm interested in mountain biking, but I really haven't ridden a lot or at all. Um, can I be on the team? Are there cuts? And absolutely, you're welcome. And, and mountain biking is a great example. It's, it's, it, the collegiate mountain biking landscape has A, B, and C categories. The A categories, you're going to be racing against some some top-level professionals. The B category is middle of the road. In the C category, you're going to be racing against the, you know a bunch of other student-athletes who maybe have never raced before. So there's a place for everybody uh, in mountain sports. And what we, while we don't require excellence, meaning you know being on the podium, we do require effort. Uh, so first and foremost, the students are at Western for academic reasons, and that's the number one priority always. And, um, but you know, there's a lot of students that want to do something in addition and, uh, these, these sports provide that opportunity. Additionally, uh, we have, uh, you know, a zero tolerance for partying. Mountain sports is not, you know, something that we, you know, go on these trips and, and, and these guys are partying. You can do that on your own. You don't need mountain sports to do that. If you're in the mountain sports program and when we're training and when we're traveling, we're representing Western we are dead serious. We take everything everything very seriously. And, and when we go to a competition uh, in Steamboat Springs or if we go back east to Snowshoe, West Virginia for Mountain Bike Nationals, uh, we're on a mission. And, um, you know, it's, it's all business. So that's an important, important aspect, too. But, but academics are, are first and foremost. Um, Western is a selective institution. And, uh, you know, what we provide as far as the value of our education, we provide uh, a, a private university education. 
at uh, public school cost. Uh, we've got these, I think our, our uh, student-to-faculty ratio is 18 to 1. Our largest classroom might seat 50 students, so uh, we don't have the big, the big uh, Coliseum classrooms. We don't, our, our classes are taught by the professors, and they have the highest degree in their field typically. We don't have adjuncts. We don't have student teachers. Um, it's, uh, it's a special place. Gunnison's a small town. And, uh, you know, that, that's part of it that, that we, the, the streets roll up at eight o'clock at night. Um, there's not a mall here. There's not going to be a ton of nightlife. Um, we're surrounded by public lands. If you, if you like the, the, the public lands and, and a, a small town atmosphere, um, you know, you should take a, a good, a good look at Gunnison. We're close to the front range of Denver, three and a half hours away, uh, very accessible and, uh, just a phenomenal place to, uh, to spend four years and get a degree. It sounds like a really cool opportunity. You know, I wish that I could get degree after degree after degree because I'd like to go to different places and experience what that has to offer. And what Gunnison has is certainly unique. Yeah, it is. Tell us about the mountain sports events, some of the details about events that you uh, participate in. Well, the the events that the athletes participate in, uh, we talked about collegiate mountain biking. It's um, USA Cycling has a whole um, collegiate mountain biking Series, it's a national series. We complete compete in the RMCCC, the Rocky Mountain Collegiate Cycling Conference, and eventually send a team to the national championships. Uh, in the world of of alpine ski racing and Nordic ski racing, we compete in the USCSA, uh, which is um, the United States club skiing sanctioning body. In free ride big mountain skiing and snowboarding, it's the the free ride. Uh, World tours and qualifiers, uh, anywhere from a two star to a four star event. And right now our teams are heading for Canada for, for events up there. So we've got, um, almost 50 free ride big mountain skiers and snowboarders on our roster. So that Crested Butte has phenomenal terrain for, uh, for those, those listeners that don't know what, you know, Crested Butte's um, known for is their double black diamonds and their their natural terrain, steep terrain, and they really uh, sort of wrote the book on on these free skiing competitions, um, you know, decades ago, and they're still a leader in uh, in the competitive aspect. And there's no better place to train than, than Crested Butte for for those disciplines, the the free ride big mountain uh, trail running. We compete. There are there is no collegiate trail running circuit, so our trail runners are out there competing with the public in anything from a, a 5K sprint trail run to 100 mile races. You know we've had Western athletes compete at uh, at the Leadville 100 uh, foot race and the the Moab Marathon. So that is a, a, a fun schedule that could be really um, anything anything that's out there that's a, a trail based run. Our um, Nordic skiers, like I said, they compete on the USCSA. We also have one of the only, if not the only, what we call endurance ski teams. Uh, this is Schemo, ski mountaineering or rando racing. And uh, we've got athletes who, who do that. And there's some crossover between Nordic. We've got some, some skiers that are Nordic and endurance uh, ski racers. So they'll do the, the collegiate racing, but then they'll also jump into the, the Schemo races at Sunlight. Uh, Powderhorn has a race this weekend. Uh, Crested Butte holds the national championships. A lot of these skiers are training all season long, and the capstone on their season is the Elk Mountain Traverse, which is the the midnight start pairs 
backcountry ski race from Crested Butte to Aspen, uh, a very cool event that takes place in late March. And uh, it's uh, it's been around for, oh, I want to say, 20 years at least. And uh, it's it's become a skimo race. Initially, we used to do it on, on Nordic skis, and it was it was awful. You can imagine yeah. wind thrust, powder, any kind of condition imaginable on Nordic equipment. You know, for me, it was traverse and crash, traverse and crash, traverse and crash over and over. Now with this new lightweight uh, rando gear that's out there, uh, it, it's completely changed uh, that sport. And, and all of the top teams at the front are using the the, the lightweight racing um, schemo gear. And the, the descents are, are so much faster and, and so much safer now on that kind of gear. But that's the the endurance ski team. We we love that one. That, that team is so Gunnison and Crested Butte uh, because it, it really epitomizes a lot of the athletes that are up here. Uh, you know, guys like Brian Smith, John Brown, Yari Kirkland. These are athletes, endurance athletes, that they'll jump into trail running races. They'll do mountain bike races. They'll do Nordic ski races. And they, they love to do ski-mo and uh, uh, the Grand Traverse. So these are very versatile, all-mountain athletes. And that's really what we're, we're trying to create with mountain sports, too, and what we're starting to see. We've got you know, some, some prototype athletes out there. Uh, we've got a sophomore named Cam, Cam Smith, and I think he's from uh, Illinois, and he's a mountain bike racer. He's a skimo athlete. He's a good Nordic skier, and he's on our trail running team. Um, you know, there's only a couple teams that he's not on, and uh, and he loves it all. And uh, so I love to I love to see you know the sort of the multi sport uh, diverse athlete, and, and we have the different events that that uh, the, the different teams attend to to really you know challenge themselves. In a, in a big way against uh, whether it's other collegiate, other college students, or just the general public. I think that a lot of people hear, you know, these kind of endurance sports related podcasts and they say, why? <laughs> that sounds like a lot of work. So, what inspires you? How do you answer that question? Why go out and do that much work? Uh, I don't know if I have an answer to that. I think it's. It's just something that you that you either that you either get or you don't. And if you're kind of interested in a sport and you get out there and um, you know you love it, I guess that I mean, and it, it is. It's a lot of work, but there's nothing I'd rather be doing. And, and in fact, you know, as I get older, I start to to worry about you know what will I do with myself when I can't you know go out and be physical. And it, it's just. There's something about you know getting your heart rate up and breathing hard and and climbing that hill and then you know a lot of times there is a gravity assist that that's a big element of these these adventure sports, uh, whether it's Nordic skiing or mountain biking or, or skimo or even alpine where you're riding a lift up and you're using gravity exclusively, uh, you work hard going up or across the flats but there always seems like there's that that gravitational reward at some point where um, you know we get to be pulled back down the hill. And, and, you know, whether we're carving skis or, or, you know, carving turns on a bicycle or even, you know, if you're out trail running and, and, uh, you know, you're doing kind of the same thing. So I don't know that there's a good answer for someone that doesn't get it because there are certainly those people that they say, Hey, you know what? I don't, I don't like to exercise. It's not my thing. Uh, but then the, there are people and, and I guess I'm one of them that it's more of an addiction than, than anything. And you can't imagine, uh, you know, not being physical and, and getting out there and working hard and breathing hard and and feeling that hurt a little bit and and yeah, sometimes it isn't it isn't terribly comfortable. Uh, but a lot of times 
with these activities, and, and you'll see this. You'll see somebody in a in a in a racing situation or some sort of an adventure situation, and they're having a terrible time, and they hate it, and they're complaining, and they're never going to do this again. And then you see them afterwards, and it's it's not quite as bad as it was. And you see them a week later, and they say, "That was great. That was so awesome. I love that. I can't wait to do it again." So we have kind of a short selective memory about these things, and, and that's a good thing because a lot of times what ends up sort of falling away from our memory is the pain and the suffering and, and some of the anguish. And all that's remaining is the glow of, of the view, of how we felt at the finish, uh, of what it felt like to nail that section, whatever it was. Uh, and that's what we're left with, and that's what keeps us coming back over and over and over. Oh, that's beautiful. And I had that same exact experience when I first got involved in endurance sports. It was, you know, when I was out there at first, it was, why am I doing this? But like you said, selective memory, short-term memory loss, whatever. Then it started to come back and say, you know what, that was really cool. And it tricks us into doing it again. But you know what happens over time is you find yourself in that hard crux of the sport, whatever it is, you're pushing yourself really hard and you, you suddenly realize, I'm enjoying this. Yep, absolutely. You know, it's like, wow, I, I I actually feel really good about what I'm doing right now. And uh, I, I'm enjoying breathing hard. I'm enjoying my muscles burning. I'm enjoying that, that feeling of really being alive. And I wouldn't want to be anyplace else. Oh, absolutely. So how about an inspirational story to close this out? What I take a ton of inspiration in is seeing what how meaningful – um, getting involved in adventure sports has been for so many people. And my experience with the Leadville 100, I hear from a lot of people. I talk to a lot of people. Uh, now with the Mountain Sports Program, having been around for four years, I've come across a lot of students where it's changed their lives. And that's the most important thing to me is when I come across these people that, that tell me that they just they got into mountain biking or they started uh, you know cross-country skiing or whatever it was, and it's it somehow has transformed their lives and transformed not not just that they enjoy going out and doing these things, but how it it seeps into every other aspect of their life. And uh, you know, I just I, I love to see that, and um, I know that it, it could be um, you know such an important thing to so many people that 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 there is some trepidation about about you know taking that leap and, and jumping into something. And uh, if you could just somehow, you know, convince those people to give it a go, that they would, uh, you know, they would take to it, and it would, it would, it would become that that change in their life that would really be a positive thing. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So many people that we've interviewed have reported how their lives changed so much for the better because they got involved in an adventure sport, something that gave them a reason to be healthy and a reason to get out there and have fun and a reason then to uh, to manage everyday life a little bit better because they had something to, to do, something to go for, you know? Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. So if people want to find out more, they can go to, it's WSCUMountainSports.com. So Western State, Colorado University, WSCUMountainSports.com. You've got a great website here that, Shows off a lot of what you guys are doing there. Are there other ways that people can reach out and find out more information? Uh, that's the best way. And additionally, if, if uh, anybody wants to go to western.edu uh, forward slash mountain sports. Okay, so that's western.edu forward slash mountain sports. Yeah. 
So, Dave, thank you very much for filling us in on these programs that Western State Colorado University offers. I was not aware of those programs before our interview, and it sounds like you guys have a wonderful thing going. What a great opportunity, especially for students who would like to learn more about adventure sports and endurance sports and live in an area during their their education, their college education years, where they can really immerse themselves in uh, the beauty that nature in Central Colorado has to offer. Curtis, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, additionally, if, if anybody out there wants more information about the Mountain Sports Program, I would love to hear from them. They can email me, uh, and my email is dweens, that's D-W-I-E-N-S, at western.edu. I'd love to, to hear from anybody and to answer any further questions that uh, anybody might have about the Mountain Sports Program or about Western State Colorado University. Cool, Dave. Thank you very much. And for all of our listeners out there, until the next show, get out there and have some fun. College students, get in touch with us. Also, be sure, everyone, to subscribe, go to iTunes or Stitcher, rank and review. We really appreciate that. That helps to grow the show, and it helps us to get to the top of the rankings, which also helps to get the word out. Please help us do that also by telling all of your friends. We thank you very much. Take care.